we've got a bit more time. Thank you very much, Daryl. That's Thank fantastic. Um, yeah, clap. I really wanted just to open up the floor to some questions. So I will, I will watch your thinking. I will kick us off. Um, my first question is, uh, you quickly mentioned about that you, you started and you were head teacher of a school. Yeah. Could you tell, uh, tell us how that came about, what that looked like? Uh, yes, tell us a bit more about that. Well, when I first came out of prison, um, the area I went to, uh, it's Runcorn, it's near, near Liverpool, and there was a very forward-thinking Christian head teacher in the particular school called Brookvale at the, at the time who had massive issues with, with drugs and violence and gangs. And they wanted to bring somebody in who could actually get to these kids, get yeah. to these teenagers. And so she wanted to bring me. And she put her career on the line, went to the governors and said, look, this guy's just out of prison, but I want to bring him into the school. And it just took off from there. Uh, they gave us a whole corner of the school called it Sunshine Corner. Uh, we started a mentoring program in that school. That rolled out to yeah. all five secondary schools in the borough. And then from there, we launched what was called at the time the PSI Project, Progressive Social Inclusion Project. And we started working with the local pupil referral unit. The next thing, we got the local authority paying us to evangelize. They were paying us contractual money to work with the kids that nobody else wanted. And I said, look, I'll tell you up front, we're a Christian organization. I'm not going to not pray for these kids. I'm not going to not see these kids changed. They said, we don't care how you change them as long as you get results. So all they were bothered about was results. And so they got the results. They loved it. They kept paying us loads of money to do it. But then it got to the point of we need something bigger, something more substantial, something permanent and full-time. And there was a massive need around children uh, who had ASD on the autism spectrum. And God said, we'll set up a school. Call it Hope Academy, set up a school. So I did. That's a very long story short. Every policy, every procedure, every curriculum plan, everything had to be written from scratch, from absolutely nothing. Um, but there it is today. And at the same time, he said, while you're doing it, um, raise a million and a half pound and build a new building that can house the church and the cap centre and the coffee shop and the food bank and the congregation and put the church on the first floor uh, and not buy your book will come out at the same time as well so it might stress you a bit uh, and, I, and I'm going to open up a platform for you to travel around the world while all that's going on yeah so yeah average Friday yeah 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 average Friday day um, fantastic it's great to hear like about the um, you know that journey that faith journey for yourself as well actually you know, everything that's going on is just just a massive faith journey. So God said this, let's do it. You know, let's do it. Let's, in many ways, God will provide the money, God will provide the people, God will provide it all. And the, the, also the local authority willing to be part of it. And it's yeah. just an amazing story up in Leeds, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we're, yeah Cheshire. It sounds posh when you say Cheshire, but it's not. It's Liverpool, more Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, wait, I'm, I'm, back up, I'm back up in Yorkshire now. Planting yeah. We're doing this all the same. Sorry. We're doing the same again from scratch. Yes. Because that was done. Yes. So God says, like, go do it again. Go do it again. As, uh, he said, don't take anything with you. Don't take anyone with you. Don't take any money with you. Just go back to Yorkshire and do it again. Yeah. I thought, okay, God. So we're not planting a church with a team. We don't have a team of people. It's me, my wife. That's it. Mm. And we're planting the church and just believing for what God is going to do. Yeah. So that literally launches in September. Fantastic. Uh, second question is... Uh, you know, I think most of us, we want to see people's lives change. You know, there's, a, there's about 160,000 people that live in poor 
across the conurbation, and we want to see it so badly. And it's that like it's that first step, you know. And I loved it that you 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 really rallied home, like you know, it takes one person to double this, one person each to double this room in this place. And if like every church in Paul did that, that would obviously double the numbers. And then we double again and double again. It's it's great. Yeah. But say for example, right, I'm in Lidl doing my weekly shops. I don't shop, actually. Becky does it, so I can't lie. This is a made-up story. I'm, I'm, um, I'm the shopper now. You're the shopper, uh, you know. You're the shopper, and, uh, and I feel led to God. So I'll, I'll pretend, let's, do, let's do role-play here, right? Okay. okay. So, I hate role-play. Well, yeah, on. yeah, role-play. Let's do this. Right, uh, we're in Lidl. You're Tim. I'm... I'm um, Bob. Bob, yeah, Bob. Oh, this is, there is actually a Bob, yeah? Yeah, yeah Bob. <laughs> Bob. And, um, and uh, you feel God say talk to him yeah what would you do if god's God's telling me to go and talk to that person there's a reason there's something going on in that person's life so literally go up to them and say look i know you don't know me and i don't know you i'm a local church leader here and i just is there something i could pray for that's going on no no there's nothing all right do you mind if i just pray for you anyway i don't know why but it won't cost you anything. It's absolutely free. It's not going to do you any damage. It can't do you any harm. It can only do Pop you good. Is, I've got a bit of a queue, actually. I know you have. Do you guys mind if I just pray for him? <laughs> they don't mind. Okay, go on, then. There you go. So yeah. just removing every obstacle. Yeah, pretty good actor, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Moving every obstacle, great, yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it's that thing of actually, you know, you, you just went straight in there. Don't, don't, there's, there's no, I think that thing of actually, we st- as Christians, we feel like we should apologize. Oh, it's, you know, you know, oh, by the way, I just want to talk to you about something. You know, we get all nervous yeah. about it. And then we, you know, we just actually say, actually, I'm a Christian. You know, I feel God wants me to talk to you. Just go straight in it. The actual theological the term for explaining our faith is apologetics. Yeah. And it's a horrible word because it has so many negative connotations to it. Apologetics. Yeah. I'm not apologetic in any way, shape or form. Yeah. This is, this is what I believe. Yeah. You know, we look at, go to John's gospel. It doesn't start with an apology. It starts with yeah. a straight statement. This is what happened. This is how it is. Yes. That's, that's it. Great. Fantastic. Does anyone else have any more questions? Go for it. There is, and, and you can train your cotton socks off, and you can run scenario after scenario, but I almost guarantee you that the scenario you're actually led to by God will not be covered by the scenarios that you covered in the training. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great book by a guy called John Ortberg, and it's called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. Yeah. There's got to be that. If you haven't read it, go get it, read it. John Ortberg, If You Want to Walk on Water, Get Out of the Boat. It's, you've got to take that step. The only way the Holy Spirit can partner with you, the only way God can work in partnership with you is through your obedience. And that obedience isn't really obedience if you've gone out and trained yourself to the nth degree and then gone looking for a scenario that covers what you've already covered to be able to use your training. What God wants is your untrained, unable, uncapable self to step out in faith and just see what comes out of your mouth. No, no. 
No, I literally, I, I literally throw them in the deep end. There was one Sunday morning, I'll give you an example. They all turned up thinking they were going to worship, thinking they were going to hear a word. And they all turned up, they all rocked up in the Sunday best and said, right, we're all going out. We're all going out to the local area, to a mile radius. I've mapped it out. You all know where you're going. You're going to go around, knock on doors, and we're going to have a family fun day next week with hired bouncy castles, face paints, the lot. You're going to go out and you're going to invite them to it. Off you trot. They didn't know it was coming. I gave them no forewarning whatsoever. They were just had to do it. Bit of peer pressure. It works really well. <laughs> Use that one. It works. Let them rock up on a Sunday thinking all is well and then get them. I was, still, I was just thinking about what to do on Sunday as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a question. You know, it's, it's interesting because actually this, uh, this afternoon I went, um, I, um, I was on our not to, oh, we haven't finished your question yet. <laughs> but this afternoon we, uh, I, I was speaking to our neighbours and um, I invited ourselves in and I said, could I, could I look around your house? And um, sounds a bit weird, but we get on with our neighbours quite well. But we haven't really seen bits of our house yet. So they, they went around their house, and I was saying what I was doing tonight, and that you were coming to speak. And they're like, oh, yeah, he sounds like he's had a lot of change in his life. And it's all this like, oh, yeah, that's good for you, but it's not, it's not for me. And how, how yeah. would you say about countering, if you encounter all that? It's like, yeah, that's, you know, th they know that I, mm -hmm. I work for a church, lead a church. But they're like, yeah, that's, that's good for you. Oh, that sounds like he's had a lot of good change in mm. his life. You know, he was a bad boy, now he's a little good yeah. boy. Yeah. And it was literally like that, the conversation yeah. with my neighbour this afternoon. Yeah. And um, how do you go past that? Actually, that's good for you, but it's okay. not for me. Sometimes it's about being there, because yeah. they're not ready to listen. You've heard the phrase, the God-shaped hole. There comes a moment, a time, timing is everything. Everyone has a God-shaped hole at some point in their life. It could be a marriage breakdown. It could be a bereavement, loss of a family member. It could be loss of a career, a redundancy. Something will create, life will just create a God-shaped hole. But all of a sudden, all of that security, that beautiful textured layered rug of financial security, of emotional security is ripped out from underneath them. And all of a sudden, who do they turn to? Oh yeah, Tim's a pastor. And he lives next door. I wonder if he'll give me 10 minutes of his time. And it, it's, it's being there and it's having the timing right. And that's where discernment and wisdom comes in. Because you've got to know, you let God speak to you when he says, you need to go knock on the door now. Now is the moment that you go knock on the door. So you, you've got to have that relationship and connection with God. You see it throughout scripture that, the, that even Jesus himself you know, Zacchaeus in the tree. He knew, he knew he was in the tree. He knew he was going to be in the tree. He knew at th it was only at that precise moment in his life that he was ready to change and listen. That's what it has to be. It's got to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's about that, you know, constantly building relationships with these people and then in terms of relationship, yeah. evangel relational evangelism, yeah. not the one in Lidl, and then that moment in time mm. when there's a life, um, where there's a hole in their life yeah. as such. Go yeah. for it. But before all of that, your relationship with God. Yeah. You've got to build your character. You've, yeah. got to, you've got to hone yourself as a man or woman of God. Yes. And that can only be done by time in the word, time in prayer, time spent with other believers. That's the only way that can happen. Because yes. um, God won't be able to speak. You won't be able to hear him. Yeah. It's got to be that, you've got to be in that place of listen and respond, listen and respond. When God says go, you go. You don't question. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't know this. I, I almost ended up in the parachute regiment. Uh, when I was in prison, they were recruiting straight out of prison. Okay. And I went and did the training. I passed P Company. Yeah. And it was time to sign on the dotted line, but I'd become a Christian. And it was, I'd go into ministry or I'd go into the army. 
But one thing that they trained you when I did the P company training, you had to do something called the trinasium test. You're up on these 40 feet up in the air on these shuffle bars, and you just have to jump 10 feet down onto a foot and a half foot wide plank. Easy. No safety net, nothing. Easy. When they say jump, you have to go. Easy. Yeah. Easy. So go, go. That's it. It's to get you ready when they say on your plane, when they say jump, you jump. It's, it's to train your body and your mind to do that. So when God says go, do, you've got to be trained in the same way that you just go. You don't question, you don't doubt, you just go. When I was a kid, another story, we used to, every summer, when the weather was like this, we'd go up to Tilcon Quarry, an old limestone quarry. 1976, last time the weather was like this. And when I was a kid, every summer holiday was like this. So we used to go up to Tilcon Quarry, and every winter I'd snow. And we used to go up to Tilcon Quarry, and there was these big cliffs, limestone cliffs, and all the big kids were always jumping off the cliffs in like a 20-foot drop down into the beautiful limestone water. And I'd never, every, every year I bottled it until I was 11. And I got there, and I climbed the cliff. You had to climb the cliff to get to the top. And I got to the top, and I was like, and I, and I didn't want to jump. And just, I just like, at a split second, I just shut my brain off from thinking, and I just turned, run, and jump. I had a mid-air Wiley Coyote moment. What have I just done? Then I went down and hit the water, and I was like, Woo-hoo-hoo! and he was brilliant. And I got up and climbed up and did it again. Yeah. If I'd have never shut my brain off and stopped doubting for that second and just jumped, I would have always known what it looked like, but I would never have known what it felt like. Yeah. That's the difference. You can train your socks off. You'll know what it feels like. Listen to God and do. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Chris, did you have something? Your first evangelistic outreach. Oh, the first evangelistic outreach. outreach. Um, some, of, some of them were lifers, so they're still in. Oh, right. Oh, well, two, two-thirds of that cohort became Christians. And a good chunk of them were lifers, so they're still in, but they're still serving God in prison. So they're still connected in with, uh, through the Message Trust, primarily. That's who I sort of connect through with, with the Message Trust and the work that they do in, in prisons. Is that, the, is that the prison in Canada you're talking about? No. No, no, did you mean the pri- well, with me in prison? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, they went on in, in their own different ways. And the conversations we had, well, you know, I'm never getting out of here. How can God use me? Well, he's already using you right now. And it's like the Colombians or South Americans, they think they invented cell church. No, they didn't. We did. Because we, every association time, we met in our cells. We had Bible study in our cells. And when you're a Christian in prison, evangelism is so easy because they, you literally have a captive audience. They can't escape you. And every time you don't swear, you say no to a pornographic magazine, you say no to drugs, you say no to hooch, whatever it is you say no to, you make, marks you out as different. You're different. You're trustworthy somehow. Apart from there was one guy, uh, we, he'd been in there that long, his nickname was Fletch. And he, he went to me, he said, I don't trust you anymore. I said, what do you mean, Fletch? He said, when you were a criminal, I trusted you. I know where you stood as a criminal. All this Jesus honesty stuff, no, I can't trust you anymore. So sometimes it just doesn't work. <laughs> so. Fantastic. Um, whilst people are still thinking, um, how do they get weed into the prison? Uh, like, surely you shouldn't be smoking weed in a prison. This is not a spiritual question. They're, 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 okay. I was, a couple of years ago, I was invited to a, a closed parliamentary group meeting yes. on this very subject. Yes. And I said to them, if you are serious about no drugs in prison, you need to come and speak to people like me and we'll tell you exactly how the drugs get into prison. We'll yep. tell you about your corrupt prison officers who yep. get paid off quite healthily. We'll tell you how the system is broken and we'll tell you how to fix it 
if you're not just paying lip service to this, come and ask. Have a guess how many people actually came and asked. Not one single government minister that was in that meeting followed that meeting up and came and asked yeah. for the relevant information to stop it from happening. Why? Because it placates the prisoners. It keeps them Bad dull, news. keeps them quiet, Bad ultimately. News. In the news, you'll see it on the news, they say, oh, it makes prisoners more violent. On a whole, it keeps them dulled. It keeps them sedate. It keeps them down. It keeps them out of the way. Easier for the staff to manage because they're understaffed. They don't have enough prison officers. The no, prison system is so yes. lapse and lackadaisical now. There's no structure. There's no discipline. There's no real punishment for actions that take place in prison. So the whole system is broken. So how do you get them in? You fling it over a wall in a hot water bottle. You fly a drone over and you drop it. It's simple. Simple. Or if you want to get technical, have a visit and shove it up your bottom. Walk it in. Mm. It, mm. You know, it, there are so many ways. Mm. And the good thing is, as a drug dealer, you can charge more for less. Mm. So you make more money selling drugs in prison than you do outside. So financially, from a dealer's point of view, mm. brilliant. Yeah. See, so I've been in prison a couple of times to speak. And uh, me and my mate, and you know, we just we just walked in with our mobile phones. So yeah, you know, and they shouldn't have had it. You know, they don't check you that well these days. No, go for it. Um, I mean, all my family was still back in in, in Nottingley, in, in West Yorkshire still living there. I, I only found out uh, after the fact, when I was originally locked up, my entire family were put under police protection because the people I was involved with, they were genuinely fearful because they were, they held me in police custody for three weeks in the police cells. I kept getting remanded back to police custody because they were trying to keep me out of the system, keep me out of the loop so I couldn't speak to anyone and let rumours get around that maybe I'd turned the grass and other people were going to get locked up. They wanted to see what it shook loose. I didn't say anything, but the police put my whole family, my mum, dad, brother, sister, under police protection while, while all of that was taking place. The first phone call I made when I got to prison, I got on the wing, got my phone card. It contained very few words. All I said was, I've kept my mouth shut. I want out now. And they said yes, and I hung up, and that was it. So going back to, there were three, three of us really involved with all the stuff, um, mainly. Uh, I'm the only one left alive. Um, my mate Swaller, he, he overdosed. I held him while he died. Uh, I watched him die. That's not an image you ever got out of your head. Uh, my other mate, um, about three months after I got locked up, there was a news report of a guy found shot dead in a Range Rover out near Manchester. That was him. Um, so I'm the only one left. Um, so other people who were still around, you know, they're married, they've got kids, they've moved on with their lives, people who I knew I went to school with. So they're all around uh, in the area still. My parents are still around in the area still. Um, we, it's weird when I go back home because people still remember the old me and they still respect you and treat you in the same way as if you're still going to be the old you, which comes in handy sometimes, I'll be honest. Um, it means my mum and dad's house couldn't get burgled, you know what I mean? It's, it's that kind of a nobody would dare chance it, just in case it was all a blag and I changed my mind, mm -hmm. um, even, you know, 20 years on. So, well, some of two close friends are dead, so in, no opportunities, none whatsoever. Um, other friends who I kind of grew up with and went to school with, yes, yes, we have. 
Yeah, one recently actually, a uh, guy called Andy. He, he recently got back hold of me through Facebook asking for prayer because he was going through a difficult situation at work. And he, he now works for the prison system. He's a, an, an IT technician within the prison system. So, yeah, it, it still now happens today because people watch you and they know that you're a person to go to if things are going not too well, that they can turn because they think you have a hotline to God somehow. Um, so they'll come to you. So it still exists now. So those foundations, none of those relationships have, I believe, have been lost. So the ones that have come to Christ since, brilliant. But even the ones that haven't, I'm still believing they will. Because they've all seen from a distance what has happened. Fantastic. Uh, have a cool couple more minutes to think of a question whilst I uh, ask you a question. Um, for you personally, what has Jesus done for you in terms of uh, not your outside life, but your inner life, your your mm. your inner self. What what would you say has changed the most? So for like I do, you know, you face more peace, whatever that be. But if your yeah. inner self, what do you think Jesus? I suppose my the, the one of the cruxes of my problem was anger. Mm. I, I was a violent person because I was an angry person. Um, you know, I'd, I'd smack you in the face and then say, "What were you looking at?" Okay, I'm just gonna. Uh, just yeah, it was usually when I had, had breakfast, so you're all right. Um, that was one of the big motivators yeah. uh, that drove me to wrong decisions, bad decisions uh, in my life was, was anger. So one of the big things that God dealt with, um, which he had to deal with, there are others that we've dealt with together. You know, yeah. People think I got zapped in that cell and all was fixed and all was well. Not the case. He took care of the big things. He took care of addiction. He took care of anger. A couple of other things, forgiveness, regret, that sort of, sort of stuff. But learning to forgive myself, mm. you know, that took a couple of years. Yeah, I uh, get that, yeah. Post-salvation, because of those very reasons that you start thinking about all the people you may have damaged, all the people you may have hurt. And God brought me to a point of healing where he said to me, you can't do anything about what you've done, but together we can do everything about what's going to happen going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it took me a while to get to that point, Yeah, you know, personally. So, yes, God did an amazing transformation work on me in that cell on that night, overnight, but still to this day, I'm still a work in progress. I'm still being refined mm. every single day. I strive to a sanctified life, but it doesn't stop me having an angry split-second thought when someone cuts me up on, <laughs> yeah. on one of these dual carriageways around here and roundabouts that make no sense. <laughs> and <laughs> when Satnav says, keep right, and all of a sudden there's no lane. What? So it's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm still a work in progress, but... Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, I would have drove that person off the road and wrung the neck at the side of the road. Now, I'll, I'll, if somebody gets angry, I love doing this, by the way. It's a bit naughty. When somebody gets angry at me, for whatever reason, I might have done something wrong, I didn't realise I've done it in the car. I like now to wink and blow a kiss. Oh. It has a very soothing effect, I find. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it might work up north. Um, <laughs> Does anyone have any more questions for free to ask? Any but questions? No questions, so it's too stupid. Happy days. Right, on my phone. Not yet, not yet. Um, I've got one last question for you. If you could obviously... No. no. <laughs> jump off a cliff or do this no if you could obviously you spoke this uh this evening and you gave us four things that you know we should agree to and um if you could 
uh, encourage us lastly on one thing for one minute, what would that be? For us it's, 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 it's probably a couple of things wrapped up into one, but on that day you made that choice, on that day you were baptized, on that day you chose to follow Jesus, a passion started to rise up within you. Um, it's referred to a lot in worship songs as, as the first love. All of those things, all of those dreams, all of those visions, all of those passions you had in, in that first six to 12 months as a believer, why have you put them down? Why, why did you give up on them? Because God didn't. He put them in you and then you took them out. They're still there. They still exist, whether it was two years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. They're still there. If you're still here, the promise still exists. The promise of God don't go anywhere. They still exist today as much as they did then. So don't forget that first love. Don't forget those visions and those passions and those dreams that God gave to you. If I need a prayer, really need a prayer answering, I go find a new believer because they pray with faith like nobody else. They just believe verbatim and they'll just ask and believe and pray. They're brilliant. When you've been a Christian 20 years, you start theologically debating the prayer. You start discussing the prayer, and then you speak in Christianese. You spend longer talking about the prayer and what needs to be prayed for than you do actually praying for it. You have committees to talk about who's going to pray, and then you form another committee to form the committee for prayer. And, and once you've got the committee for prayer, you've got to have you know, policies and structures and procedures in place that govern the committee for prayer, and then you might get five minutes prayer in at the end. Do you remember when it was just, God, please, just crying out to him. Mm. Simply crying out to him. The Bible refers to it as a childlike faith. That doesn't mean an immature faith. It means a simple, honest, pure faith. When my children look at me upon a climbing frame and they jump off into my arms, there's no doubt whatsoever in their eyes that they're going to be caught. In fact, they very rarely give me enough warning. It's all like, daddy! Do you catch them? Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be realistic. You've got to set them up for real life, you know. <laughs> God's waiting for you to jump. He's waiting for you to remember that, that excitement of being caught by your dad. That excitement of just jumping and trusting and believing, of getting out of the boat, walking on the water. Mm. he's waiting for you that didn't go anywhere it's still there you you just forgotten it you put it down for some reason pick it back up again pick it back up pick those promises back up run with them again great and it's crazy because you know there's so much potential in this room in every single one of us and you know you think about 160,000 odd people if we're just thinking about Paul or Kalaji here and you think you know they reckon between about five, 6,000 people actively go to church regularly on a Sunday. And it's, it's like, whoa, let's go out there. The harvest is plentiful. Yeah. And go and tell people about Jesus and fill our churches up. Yeah. You know, where, wherever church you go to in Paul, yeah. let's fill them all up for Jesus yeah. Christ. And it's just a passion. One last thing. If someone is not a Christian here today, mm-hmm. why should they become a Christian? What have you got to lose? If you've been exploring this for some time, if you've been waiting, it's not like choosing a mortgage. You don't have to shop around for a better deal. There isn't one. There literally isn't one. It's a win-win situation. 
Jesus has come to earth. God came to earth in bodily form. His son, Jesus Christ, came to earth as a man so he could suffer as one of us. Stepped out of eternity into time to be just like one of us. So you could gain access to eternity. To put a bridge in place to allow you to access heaven for once and for all. See, I can see you, so I could describe you physically. What I can't describe is your heart, your passion, your dreams, your loves, your fears, your failures, your doubts. But that's you. Not what you look like. All those other things I've just described, that's you. That's your soul. That's who you are. That's the bit of you that lives forever. The body packs in. You know, the, well, the Bible says we'll receive heavenly bodies. Some of us got them early. No, we, <laughs> we get heavenly bodies. We get to a point where there is no fear, no doubt, no sickness, no suffering, no pain. That is coming. It is coming. Don't forget, this is temporal. It only ever was. It's not a dress rehearsal. You get one shot, one chance to make the right choice in the time that you have here. And the thing is, you don't know what that time is. You literally don't. I could drop dead now. I don't know. I don't know. You don't know. We don't know. Get hit by a bus tomorrow. I don't know. So why are you putting off something that has no negative? Why? Why? Is it because you know it will change your life? Is it because you know you'll have to put things down that... You know, really, you enjoy. You enjoy the pornography. You enjoy sleeping around. You enjoy getting ratted every Friday night. You don't really want to give those things up. Okay, enjoy them while you're here. And I'm sure they've got bars in hell. I'm sure they're there. Not been. Not think I have. Not in this close. But I don't think it is. Maybe Barnsley. But it literally comes down to that. There are two locations upon which you can land upon your time on this earth ending. I, I'm not a hell preacher. I don't preach hell. Jesus taught really clearly about hell. He taught as much about hell as he did about heaven because he wanted to make sure we got clear the decision we were making. He was really clear and really gra graphic. It's a place of consciousness. It's a place of suffering. It's a place that is real. It is real. He made that really, really clear. And he said, you make your choice now because it's that or it's this. It's paradise or it's not. That's your, that's your choice. That's the reality. So if you're sat on the fence, make a decision. You can't ride two horses with one backside. It's impossible. Make a choice. Choose the right horse. Follow Jesus. And I guarantee you, that everything in Scripture will come to pass and it won't all be easy because the Scripture says, you choose to follow me, and do you know what? This world's probably going to hate you for it. It's probably going to... Jesus tried really hard to put people off from following him. He said, the world will hate you for it. Your family, mum, dad, all them, they'll think you're weird and they'll probably turn against you. They won't like you very much. Your mates who you have now, you think are mates, they'll leave you. But if you choose to follow me, 
all of that will pale into insignificance because I'm going to bless you in ways you dare even dream possible. Yes, there's going to be hard points. Yes, it's going to be difficult. But if you choose to follow me, if you make that choice, I promise you, I will bless your socks off. So what have you got to lose? Would be my question to you. If you haven't made a choice, what have you got to lose? People that shouldn't really be in your life probably anyway. So you can gain some that will look out for you in such a way that they'll make sure there's no need ever in your life. They would literally sell their house to make sure you got fed. Welcome to church. Or from now on it is because they just promised. So you picked the right one at the right time. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, if, if that spoke to you, what Daryl just spoke about, please do come and speak to Daryl or myself. You know, we'd love to talk to you and pray with you. You know, it is a a great decision to make and it's, it is, it's an important part of uh, your life and a significant point in your life if you make that decision. So do, don't leave this place. You think, oh, I'll just go. Don't leave this place without speaking to me or Daryl. Let's finish with one more thing. Yeah. There's a, a beautiful, it's a picture of tradition from when the temple was in Jerusalem. The tradition was you would never leave by the same door you entered. So you would never leave the same way you came in. And I love that imagery. You don't leave church the same way you came in. You leave with something you didn't have. You leave in a way that you didn't arrive. You leave the person you weren't when you came. So let that be you, if it's not already. Amen. Thank have you, Daryl. Let's Sorry. a round of applause for Daryl. It'll be great. A couple of things before we go. As Daryl said that if you, he's already made his notes available. So if you would like his notes sent via email, email operations at vinechurchpool.com and we can forward those notes on to you. We have them already. Uh, also, as you can understand, an event like this uh, takes time and preparation to put on, but also it takes finances. And also we want to bless Daryl with a, a generous gift. And so if you would like to give towards that, uh, none of the money is going to be going, uh, none of the, the money profit-wise in terms of that is going to be going to Vine Church Paul. It will be going back to Daryl. Uh, we have two grey baskets at the back. We're not going to be sending them round. They're at the back. You can put some money in there. Uh, but if you haven't got money on you tonight and you want to give, email operations at vinechurchpool.com and we can help you sort that out. If you would like to give a check, uh, write a check to Vine Christian Fellowship and we'll forward it on. But we want to bless Daryl. You know, God, you know, God, God, Daryl, God, Daryl, yeah. <laughs> Daryl, you know, he's really blessed us tonight. He's blessed me and he's encouraged me. Like, who is that one? You know, he said, write six people down and pray. Who is that one for the next year you're going to invest in? Invest in. And I want to leave us with that encouragement and challenge as well. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Have a safe journey home. And if you come to Vine Church, I'll see you Sunday. And uh, have a great rest of the week and enjoy the sunshine. Thank you very much.